Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel from John chapter 11. Listen for the word of God. Our ears are open. Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here, so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied, and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Have you ever watched a movie or something on TV that starts out with an epic scene? It's action packed. There's a hook and it ropes you in, but you're not sure what has happened leading up to this moment. And then the screen goes black and it shows something like one month earlier. That's how I picture our scripture passage today. We have a distraught Jesus standing at the foot of the tomb with a large stone covering the opening. It's clear that the people there all know one another, though we don't know how. And then Jesus tells them to take the stone away. There are some objections because we learn that there's a dead man in there. And to be quite frank, that doesn't sound like a good idea. But Jesus asks them to stretch their faith and they move the stone. Jesus mumbles a prayer and says, Lazarus, come out. Then Lazarus, the man who had been dead four days now, comes out of the tomb. Still wrapped in his burial cloth, stripped of linen, wrapped around his hands, his feet, and his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Screen goes black. Four days earlier, there's a man named Lazarus, and he was sick. And Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, who we met earlier in the Gospel of John. The same Mary and Martha who invited Jesus into their home, they ate with him, learned from him, poured perfume at his feet. They knew what Jesus was capable of, and I imagine out of mixture of faith and fear, they sent word to Jesus that their brother, Lazarus, was sick. When Jesus heard this, he didn't jump up immediately. But after a couple of days, said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But here's the thing about Judea. Judea wasn't safe. 
they had just left Judea and they were run out of town. The Jews there tried to stone Jesus and the disciples were a little concerned about going back. I don't really blame them. I'm not sure I'd want to take a journey back to the place where people had just wanted to kill me. But Jesus tells them that Lazarus is dead and they must go. So they go. They arrive on the fourth day. The day that is culturally beyond all hope. The fourth day marks the completion of the soul's journey from life to death. His soul no longer lingers near the body. Jesus arrives on the hopeless day, the fourth. Now, Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, and she went out to meet him a couple miles from where they were. Mary stayed home. Lord, if you would have been here, then my brother would be alive. I imagine desperation in her voice. They have this short dialogue where Jesus says that her brother will rise again, but Martha's brain, foggy from grief, doesn't fully understand what Jesus is talking about. She goes to get her sister Mary and tells her that Jesus is asking for her. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and left, they followed her, assuming that she was going back to the tomb. And as soon as Mary got to the place where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, this feels a little like deja vu. We just went through this with Martha, but now we have an audience. Jesus sees her weeping, and her friends that had come with her are also weeping. And he is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus wept, and he asked, where have you laid him? Jesus, with tears in his eyes, approaches the tomb. Four agonizing days of waiting. Now, I don't know many people who actually like to wait. I don't particularly like to wait, especially if it's someone that I've called to come help me and I have to wait on them. A few months ago, I got to the church. I turned off my car And then I hopped out to run to the passenger side door to get my bag. Now, I should mention here that my very first car did not have a clicker to lock and unlock the doors. So I've always been in the habit of locking my car manually immediately when I step out before I close the door. And I think I made it to about halfway my trunk when I realized what I did. When I got to the passenger side door, I tried to open it out of instinct, but it took about a half a second for me to see my keys sitting on top of my bag, locked inside. With a sigh, I started fumbling through the State Farm website, trying to find their roadside assistance number to get someone to come and unlock my car. There is tension in waiting. It's unsettling. It can sometimes be paralyzing. What do we do 
in the waiting. Now, Candace, our children's minister, was driving through the parking lot pretty much the moment my face realized I had locked my keys in my car. She pulled over immediately and knew something was off, so I vented to her my frustration. She sat with me as I made the calls and waited with me for the State Farm man to arrive. Just so that I wouldn't be alone. Even though I know she had a to-do list a mile long and probably did not have the time, she literally stopped what she was going to do to wait with me. I don't think that there's a way to make the tension of waiting go away. I think it will always be unsettling, riddled with doubt and fear and blame and excuses. It's heavy with uncertainty. I can't help but think about Mary and Martha surrounded by their community of family and friends who were grieving with them, waiting with them, maybe waiting for Jesus to come, maybe not knowing what they were waiting for at all. The way they showed up for her, for one another, similar to the way, but with higher stakes, the way that Candace showed up for me. We often find ourselves in seasons of waiting. Waiting for the call from the doctor. Waiting for the funeral director to walk in. Waiting for payday. Waiting for the birth announcement. Waiting for the joy to come. Waiting for hope to be realized. Waiting for resurrection. There is tension in the waiting. And sometimes obstacles appear larger and more threatening than they are, keeping us preoccupied with trying to avoid danger rather than discerning alternatives. It can be paralyzing. The disciples have been Jesus's constant companions. Throughout his ministry, he traveled with him from one village and town and mountainous region to the next. Yet they often appear more concerned with situational limitations than the restorative possibility of resurrection and life. Now, in their defense, I'm not sure there's a bigger obstacle than death. As Jesus and the disciples approach Mary and Martha's home, the tension between life and death intensifies, and the grief is overwhelming. Weeping and lament fill the air as family and friends gather to mourn Lazarus' death. What were they waiting for? What do we do in the waiting? In the midst of painful circumstance and death-dealing social realities, we long for hope, for resurrection, and for the unbinding that releases us to dream beyond our boundaries of our current circumstance, to dream of a world where wholeness and well-being and health and prosperity are normal expressions of human existence. As Christians, we believe in the cycle of birth, life, death, and resurrection. And life is messy. John 11 doesn't take that mess away. It doesn't simplify things and it doesn't make it easy. What John 11 and this account of Lazarus does teach us what to do in the midst of that mess. 
we wait with each other. We grieve with each other. We hope with each other. And praise God, we get to experience resurrection with each other. Jesus, with tears in his eyes, stands at the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine the intention, the tension that must have filled the place in the moments after Jesus spoke that command right before Lazarus emerged? And the no longer dead man comes out with his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. And then Jesus says to the community surrounding who had just grieved his death, untie him and let him go. Jesus, with tears in his eyes, stands at the tomb of our own fear and doubt and desire for control, our own seasons of tension, of waiting, and he calls us by name and says, come out. The good news of the gospel is that we have been set free but sometimes resurrection is hidden behind the burial cloths that bind us to a previous reality. I think sometimes we miss resurrection altogether because how distracting those burial cloths can be. But John 11 teaches us that we have to show up with one another as witnesses and as workers. We have to be a community of hope that sees beyond our current situation. We have to notice the beauty of resurrection and new life that is happening all around us. We have to be brave enough to step out of our own tomb, knowing that death does not have the final say. We have to be willing to stand tombside with our neighbor. We have to listen for when Jesus tells us that it's our turn to nurture and strengthen, to remove the grave cloth of self-doubt and social isolation and marginalization and oppression, to tear away the wrappings of fear and anxiety and loss and grief. So that we are released to dream beyond the boundaries of our current circumstance so that the kingdom can be made a reality here and now, so that men, women, and children are able to walk in dignity, so that wholeness and well-being and health and prosperity are normal expressions of the human existence, so that in the very least, we can know that during this hard season of waiting, we are not alone. We have each other, we have hope, and we have the promise of resurrection. Thanks be to God. Let us go from here today with the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, together clinging in hope for the promise of resurrection. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. 
For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.